in a series that we are discovering or being reminded of some ingredients that help build rock-solid faith. How many of you want to walk in great faith? That was weak. How many of you want to walk in rock-solid great faith? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, first you got to want it. All right? I don't have time to start over. All right? So, so we are, we've been talking about there's some ingredients, and I believe there could be a lot more than what we're talking about. I just know the ones we are talking about are absolutely necessary ingredients to building strong faith, the kind of faith and the kind of foundation that when the storms come, your house stands. Amen? Your house stands. You're, 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 you're not blown off the foundation. Your house is solid. And Jesus says, if you want to build rock-solid faith that storms can't blow down, you don't just believe in him. You trust him enough to do the things he taught to do. Somebody besides Sam? Right? Right? That you do what he taught, not just believe what he taught. You can believe all you want and nothing change. Right? Yeah. Like Sam said, the devil believes. So good for you if you believe. No, it's not just believing. It's trusting in him enough to do what he said. All right? To do what he taught. And we've said... Some of those things that build rock-solid foundation, drill in the rock, build your house on it. We talked about this several weeks ago. The first one is practical teaching. Everybody say practical teaching. All right. It's the Word of God taught in a way that we know what to do with what we believe. It helps move from head knowledge to action. Are y'all hearing me? To actually do something with it. To put into practice what Jesus taught. And then we talked about, the next week, personal ministry. Every person I know that walks in rock-solid faith, all of the guys of the Scripture and the ladies of the Scripture, all of them have stories of when they stepped out in faith to serve someone else on God's behalf or on Jesus' behalf, their faith grew. Come on. Their personal faith grew as they stepped out and served. That's part of what Service Weekend is about. It's giving to our community, absolutely. (laughs) But it also, how many of you know, you go serve people, your faith grows. Amen? Your faith grows. It has to It's just the way it works. All right. And then we talked last week about providential relationships. God, God brought into my life. I met this 
guy, I met this lady, I, I mean, this guy walked over and prayed. It was like a God-ordained. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, man, God brought them at just the right time. Amen? And it grew our faith. Our faith grew in the middle of that relationship. Uh, or that conversation, you're like, God saw me. They had a word from the Lord for me, and I was like, wow, how did they know that? Come on, right? How did they know that? That is amazing, and your faith grows. All right, so number four, just write this down. We're not going to talk much about this, but it's spiritual disciplines. I am convinced so much that this is so important that we actually um, spent an entire series on this. When I'm talking about spiritual disciplines or personal spiritual disciplines, it's prayer, scripture, silence, solitude, and fasting. Y'all remember us digging into those? Y'all remember that? It was in a series called It's Time to Engage. And it's how those practices, those spiritual disciplines, really are key to fighting the enemy of our souls. Come on. Right? So, I'm not digging into that. I'm just going to say, every person I know that walks in faith, the kind of faith that, that moves mountains, all of them have some spiritual personal disciplines of prayer, the word, silence, solitude, fasting. It is part of their personal walk with Jesus, and it strengthens their faith. Does that make sense? It grows their faith, all right? So I just want to encourage you, go. It's on our YouTube. It's also, we've got podcasts, videos, Go watch that whole series and because it is very, very powerful. All right, so we're going to talk about the fifth one today. <clears throat> and so the fifth one, I believe, I'm not sure why it's not working. So go ahead, click on number five there, Josh. I'm not sure what's up. <laughs> is it fighting with you? That's all right. Write this down as he gets it. It is defining moments. Everybody say defining moments. Defining moments. Now, I, I, I really struggled whether to call it defining moments. Some might call it crisis of faith. <laughs> Uh, all right, so, but we're going to call it defining moments, and here's why. The, I decided that that was a better words than, than the other, and it's because God will use defining moments in our lives to grow our faith. Amen. Like this, the birth of a child. First time I ever held Tori. In my hands, I was like, oh, there has to be a God. This is a miracle. Are y'all hearing me? This is amazing. God, you are awesome. 
And God, you're going to need to help me. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Come on, anybody else? I, I mean, it was in that my faith, I leaned into God in that defining moment. Are y'all hearing me? Like I leaned into God and said, God, I and my faith grew in that defining moment. Many defining moments in your life may be good things. They may be happy things like, like a birth of a child, like a marriage, and you're just like, God, thank you. But, but I also know that, that quite often um, that, and I would say more so than the other side, God will grow our faith, I believe, most in the middle of trouble, in the middle of problems, in the middle of issues or bad times. Like, like we can draw near to God when we get that job we've been looking for and praying for and go, God, you're awesome. But it's a different kind of drawing near to God when you lose the job. Are y'all hearing me? It's different. You know? Uh, you, can, you can lean in and, and, and get close to God when you hold that baby for the first time. But it's a whole different thing when you have to bury that baby. It's different. It really is. You know, when, when you have the loss of the marriage, it's different. But it can still be really good in a really difficult kind of thing. It really can. Because looking back, there are those in the room that you've been through all of those things. And looking back... You would say, you would stand on this stage and say, that was horrible, but I've never felt the presence of God quite like that. Come on. I've never experienced the love of God quite like that. And that's a conundrum. It really is kind of an interesting thing. It is. It, it, it is this defining moment that things are like oh that's terrible and you know what I believe there's probably some in this room today that you are at that place you are in the middle of a defining moment maybe it's something great maybe it's something really really hard but there's something in you you're here today because there's something in you in the middle of the junk or in the middle of the celebration that causes you to want to draw near to him. Does that make sense? You're looking. You're looking for an answer. You're looking for a why. You're looking for a what in the world. You're looking for, but you're drawing into him and I believe when we do that, the potential in even the horrible can be good. It can. He redeems during those things. 
And, and those things have the ability to affect our faith. Are you looking, are you open, or are you closed off? C.S. Lewis says this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's interesting. It really is. Because see, there are some, and there's a movement in our world today that says, (laughs) if God exists, he cannot be a loving God. He has to be a tyrant. He has to be hateful. Because if there is a God, he must be hateful to allow pain and suffering in the world. And then there's the other side of that, that believes that pain and suffering in the world is proof that there is no loving God at all. How can there be pain and suffering and there be a loving God? (laughs) So welcome to the crossing where we deal with really easy stuff. But here's what I know. So often, it's in our troubles, in our problems, in our brokenness, in our pain that causes us to be drawn to him. And I really would expect when we get to heaven, because we all have those questions of going, God, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him why. Why this happened? Why did you not, why did you, I mean, I'm going to ask him why, because I got some big hurts, and I want to know why. But I believe when we get to heaven, and we start to ask him why, before we ever open our mouth, he's going to show us, because we're going to be going, God, that was horrible. Why was, I mean, that was the worst thing in my life. And he's like, well, maybe for you, but for us. It was the best thing in your life. Because you crawled up in my lap in that moment like you had never crawled up in my lap. I think perspective is going to blow our minds. I really do. And see, if we would just look at the lives of the apostles... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, even Paul especially. There is no conundrum. There is no issue with a loving God and pain and suffering. It's not a conflict at all. It's not. Because think about this. These men walked in such faith. That they would pray for people and they would be healed. They would lay hands on the dead and the dead get up. There's even, a, there's even a scripture that talks about people walking by the shadow and be healed by their shadow. How many of you would say, that's faith? 
They, they don't have a lack of faith. <laughs> Matter of fact, these men were walking in the middle of God in the flesh on the planet. Are y'all hearing me? They were walking with God in the flesh on the planet, and at exactly the same time, they're walking with God in the flesh on the planet, performing miracles. They experienced great suffering at the same time. <laughs> at the same time. It's, it kind of boggles the mind. Because they were walking in the middle of God in the flesh on the planet, and they suffered persecution. They suffered the loss of family. They suffered the loss of jobs. They were shunned. Matter of fact, any suffering that we have experienced, you can almost times it 10, and those guys went through that. But yet, in the middle of their suffering, people like John talks about, in the middle of his suffering, he talks about and writes, God is love. And you would be like, John, how can you say that? How can you say that? There is no love in the world for me right now. And John would have stopped you and said, you're right. The world's a mess. The world's broken. The world is hateful. But he would look at you and go, but I looked into the eyes of love. I walked with love. And if the son is anything like the father, then God is love. The world's a mess, but God's love. His love is bigger than the mess. That's what he would have said. That's what he would have said. He would be like, no. They can both exist at exactly the same time. And you're like, what? Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, did you realize that almost all of the New Testament was written while the writers were experiencing pain and suffering. And they talk about pure joy. <laughs> they talk about, I mean, it is just, and, and we think because we're Americans, we're kind of somewhat exempt. I just want to challenge that a little bit. Or when things don't go just right, we're like, God doesn't love me. <laughs> oh, there's no conflict there between the two. Matter of fact, James, the brother of Jesus, who, who thought his brother was nutso until after the resurrection. I mean, think about what would it take for you to believe your brother was the son of God? Probably him dying and coming back to life, right? And then you'd be like, oh, he, he was the son of God. 
Sorry I kicked you in bed. Sorry. I'm just, you know. You know, I mean, think about it. Think about it. So James actually later on becomes a pastor of a church in Jerusalem after the resurrection. And, uh, and, and James actually wrote the book of James. And, and this guy, he wrote these words that we're going to read. And then it wasn't that long later, the man was literally killed by rocks being thrown at him until he died. They pounded him in the head with rocks until he died. And that man, that man wrote these words. Consider it pure joy. Uh, consider it pure. How many of you know it's not happy? Come on. It's not happy. <laughs> but joy is bigger than happy, y'all. Come on, right? He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of, everybody say, many kind. Come on, many kind. Yeah, consider it joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. <laughs> so why would he test our faith? So that it would produce what? Or a word that we might use instead of perseverance is it might produce endurance. Have you ever thought about one translation says that faith produces patience. Have you ever thought about patience, perseverance, Endurance is all the same type of word in the scripture. Think about that. It's endurance. It's the kind of faith that lasts for the long haul. Come on. It's enduring kind of faith. So he's like, just count it joy when you go through trials, when you go through suffering, when things are terrible in your world. Count it as joy because you got to know God is producing in you the kind of faith that is enduring faith. That's what he desires. And I know this may blow your mind, but God's not nearly as concerned with your happiness as he is your joy that produces faith. Come on. He wants you to walk in joy. And joy is there when the world is crumbling. Come on. Come on. And, and he said, he said it, it, the testing of your faith, it produces something. Why would he want it to produce endurance? Well, the very next verse. Let endurance or perseverance finish its work so that you may be, everybody say, What? Mature, no longer a baby in your faith, but mature, and anybody want to be complete in their faith? <laughs> Not lacking anything? Well, the good news is, that doesn't happen without testing. <laughs> that doesn't happen without trials. Without problems. 
You will never, ever, ever be a mature, walking in faith, (laughs) child of God without some problems. That's what the scripture says. It's not my opinion. My opinion doesn't matter. But that's what the scripture says. It's, it's, he's going to use those. Does he cause those bad things to happen? Absolutely not. But he will redeem those bad things. Come on. He'll redeem those bad things and produce some good things with them. Come on. Are y'all hearing me? He will. That's what he desires to do. That's what he desires to do. So write this down. Trials test our faith. Trials test our faith. Trials test our faith. Every rock-solid man and woman of God that I know who's Faith is the kind of faith that when I need somebody to pray for me for healing, I call them. Come on. Because I know their faith has been tested. Come on. And it's solid. It's good. It's good. It really, really is. Um, Every one of them have had some trouble. Their faith has been tested. I like this vision, this, this even better. You say, what does it mean to test your faith? It, it's, like, it's like, have you ever tested a rubber band? <laughs> have you? You ever tested a rubber band? And you pull it back, and you pull it back, and you pull it back. And you're just waiting. How much can it handle, right? Right? That's testing. When your faith is being stretched, and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can handle this. He is stretching your faith. He's stretching. He is using what possibly the enemy meant to kill you. He's using to Build your faith. Come on. To strengthen your faith. It's so cool when you think about it like that. It's pulling on you. I I, I read this and I thought, that's cool. You may want to write this down. It's not on your notes. But but I heard a guy say this, or or read a guy, he had written this. uh, And he said this, that wrinkle-free days do not produce great faith. (laughs) wrinkle-free days do not produce great faith. And I know that may not make a lot of sense, but it's true. And here's why it's true. Are y'all ready to get academic? Okay, there's about five of you. Are you ready? Punch somebody. Say, wake up. You don't want to miss this next slide. All right, all right. All right, here you go. I want you to think about this, and don't throw rocks just yet, okay? Promise? Y'all aren't promising. Come on. All right. We don't even know what we believe until what we claim to be true is tested. (laughs) 
We don't even know what we believe. We don't even know what we believe. You can say, I believe you can trust Jesus. But it's just in your head until it's been stretched. Come on. It does you no good to just believe it in your head. You don't even really know what you believe until what you believe or what you claim to be true. It's like hanging on to a rope. You can say all day long, I trust that rope. But you don't trust that rope until you grab it and swing out over the cliff. Come on, right? You don't, you don't really know what you believe until it has been tested. It is just, listen, it is just your belief is just in your head. And we might say it this way in the South, in our hearts. And it will stay in your head and in your heart as a belief until it's been tested. And when it's been tested, you find out if you really believe that's true. And that is a crisis of faith. It's where there's some decisions to be made. Of do I really believe now? Do I really trust what I've always said I believe? <laughs> or do I walk away from that? Come on. That's where we know if it's real or not. Hmm. And you're just not sure. Maybe there's some in the room that you are just like, you know what? I feel like I'm going to collapse under the weight of what I'm going through right now. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I'm asking questions about where is God? Why is this happening? What's going on here? <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I wonder, just a wonder. I wonder if you're feeling the weight because maybe you've just not been tested like this before. Maybe what the enemy has thrown at you and that God is trying to redeem is stretching you and you're like that rubber band going, I don't know how far my faith can hang on before it pops. I just don't. No, I just don't know. Maybe it's just not been tested in a while. Maybe it's not been put under pressure for a while. And, and here's what I believe. Being tested or stretched is not a bad thing if you allow it to grow your faith. But you got to allow it to. It can either break you or grow you. Come on. Right? It has that potential. And the enemy would want it to break you. 
he would. Greg Laurie, who is actually one of the main stories. How many of you have seen Jesus Revolution? Yeah, great movie. Uh, just uh, amazing. It really is. Well, he is, he is the, the young guy that it follows his life, and it ends, I'll spoiler alert, with him being a pastor, right? So, so Greg Laurie today still pastors a large church. Uh, and God has used him. He speaks all over the world. Uh, he, just a great guy. Several years ago, though, his son, his oldest son, was killed in a car wreck. And he had been serving the Lord for years. And Greg Laurie says this. This was years after the the event where his son was, was killed. And he makes this statement. He says this. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Because unless it's been tested, you don't know if it's going to hold you. You think it will, <laughs> but you're just not sure. You're just not sure. And you know what? I believe Greg Laurie knows what he's talking about. He's lived it. He's lived it. His faith has been tested, and it grew. It got stronger. Until your faith is tested, you really don't know how much it can hold you up. You just don't know. You don't. And you know what? Jesus actually forced his disciples into places to test their faith. Because he wanted, when he was gone, for it to hold them up. Come on, are y'all hearing me? For them to be able to trust it, to trust him. And, and it's interesting, Peter, we're going to talk about him for just a minute. Peter, um, <laughs> it was right before the, the crucifixion. Jesus is getting ready to die, like hours from Jesus dying, okay? And uh, Jesus is talking, and Jesus, I don't have time to get the whole story, but Jesus is talking, and he says, um, um, Peter, your faith is getting ready to be tested like never before. You're, you, are, you are getting ready to be stretched like you've never been stretched. Things are getting ready to get really, really ugly. And Peter, he actually gets mad at, uh, he gets offended. Matter of fact, look what Jesus says. Look at the scripture. He says this to Peter. He said, but I have prayed for you, Peter, Simon. I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not, what? <laughs> the God in the flesh on the planet. God in the flesh. Jesus. How many of you know, if Jesus prays for you, it's a good thing? <laughs> right? <laughs> And Jesus says, Simon, I am praying for you. Peter, I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And then, well, well I'm going to skip that right now because we're coming back to it. I'm praying that your faith will not fail. Peter gets so mad at Jesus. He's like, my faith's not going to fail. 
Matter of fact, I'll go to prison or I'll even die for you. That's what he says. I'll go to prison or I'll die. My faith is strong. See, Peter was not lying. Peter believed in his head, and he believed in his heart. My faith is strong. My faith's not going to fail. I'm going to die for you, Jesus. I'll go to prison for you. And he meant it with everything that was in him. Here's the problem. That faith had never been tested. He believed it. I'll never fail you, Jesus. But that, he had never faced that before. He thought that was true. But when his faith was tested, and the God of the universe had prayed that his faith would not fail. And I love this, because Jesus' prayer was 100% answered. Just not in the way Peter thought. <laughs> not in the timing Peter thought. Because Peter's faith did not fail, but it really blew it right after that prayer. <laughs> Matter of fact, he said, I pray that your faith will be strong enough to handle it. And then hours later, a little girl walks up to Peter and says, you know him. You're one of them. And Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. The scripture actually says he cussed at the girl. Fail. Another time. You're one of them. No, I'm not. Shut up. Fail. Faith tested. Failed. Faith tested. Failed. Faith tested. Failed. <laughs> right? Stretched. Failed. Stretched. Failed. Stretched. Failed. Jesus dies. Peter goes and hides. Goes back to fishing. Jesus meets Peter on the seashore and cooks breakfast for him. And Jesus restores him. He restores him three times, that's right, just like his failure. He restores him. And here's what's so amazing. Is that he restores him. And not only does he restore him, Jesus in that conversation says, I know you failed, but now you're the rock. Now think about it. The guy that failed every faith test in the last weeks ran away, failed the test, Jesus literally put the entire operation under him. In that conversation on the seashore, he says, you're my man. Go build the church. That's what he said. Go build the church. 
I love one of the quotes, and I didn't put this on your handout, but one of the quotes in Jesus Revolution, the wife is talking to the pastor, and he says, and she says this, are you so arrogant to believe that God cannot work through your failures? Isn't that good? Are you so arrogant to believe that God cannot work through your failures? See, Peter <laughs> tested, failed, tested, failed, tested, failed, then Jesus is like, now your faith is ready. Here you go. Take it and run with it. Take it and run with it. Just go. And it was such a dramatic change that in Acts chapter 4, Peter's been filled with the Holy Spirit, and he uh, and John are walking into the temple, and a well-known lame man is laying there, and, uh, and, and they heal the guy. Yeah, rise up and walk. And the guy gets up, is dancing, goes into the temple, makes a big commotion. And the religious leaders that had killed Jesus get mad, and they arrest him. They arrest him, put him in jail. They spend the night in jail. They're brought back before the very men that weeks before, probably eight weeks, seven, eight weeks before, these same group of men are the ones that put Jesus to death. And now, Peter and John are standing before them, and these men want to kill these two guys too, because they're part of that Jesus thing. And so they were looking for a reason to kill him, and they asked this question. They said to Peter and John, after they brought them, they asked them this, by what power or what name did you heal this guy? By what power or what name? At that moment, Peter could have easily said, well, it's just a, a miscommunication. There's lots of Jesuses. It was that other Jesus. Y'all know there were a lot of Jesuses. That was a pretty common name at the time. You know? There was a lot of Jesus. It was that other Jesus. It's just a miscommunication. And they would have released them. But Peter and John, knowing we are facing death, if we answer this question truthfully, we are going to die. But look at the difference. He said, he says, in the name, when they said what name? Well, it was the name, and I love it. You need to go read it. It was the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So there's no mistake about what Jesus it was. It was the Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And if you're not sure who I'm talking about, he literally says this, the one that you killed a few weeks ago. <laughs> the one you killed a few weeks ago, it's in that name. And but don't worry about him because He's been raised from the dead and is alive, and it's really his power that healed this guy. <laughs> Isn't that cool? But here's the difference. Here's the difference. They had, you may want to write this down, they had Holy Spirit-filled, tested, and proven faith. Come on. See, <laughs> Peter's faith tested, failed, tested, failed, Tested, failed, 
tested, was strong. Full of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Tested, proven. As a child of God, we only walk in blind faith to what we believe when our faith has never been tested. But when it's been tested and he has been proven faithful, guess what? I'm not stepping in blind faith. I'm hanging on to something I know I can trust. Someone I know I can trust. Are y'all hearing me? That's huge. It's huge. When we can stand in that kind of of faith. And Jesus said it like this to his followers. Because he's like, things are fixing to get bad. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have, everybody say, peace. Peace. He didn't say you may have a smooth road. He didn't say everything's going to be easy. He said, I've told you all these things. And you go read all the things he had said. He said, I've told you all these things so that in me, everybody say, in me. Because in Victor, (laughs) there's probably not going to be peace when there's trouble. Are y'all hearing me? Because Victor don't have it. But when Victor leans into him in the middle of trouble, I have the potential to have what? Peace. Peace. Peace that blows your mind. Because in this world, you will have trouble. I love it. We are really good as people of God posting, and I'm saying don't don't stop this, but we love posting the promises of God on our mirror, in our bedroom, in the bathroom, all these great promises. How many of us have this promise on the mirror in this world? You will have trouble. How many of you got that promise posted? (laughs) Y'all know that's the same promise. It's the same one promising that promised all the good stuff. He promised you. (laughs) Promised you. In this world, it's going to suck sometimes. Come on. No reason to be churchy about it. Right? Right? In this world, it's going to be hard because this world is jacked up and broken. Come on. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. (laughs) Yeah, one translation says, be of good cheer. (laughs) Walk around when it's falling down with a big old smile on your face. Right? Right? Why? Because the one you're leaning into has overcome the world. Come on. Come on. The one you're leaning into, he's overcome that already. Come on. Yeah, go ahead. If you're going to do it, do it. It's the truth. It is the truth. Because he has overcome the world. Hmm. 14 years ago. In just a couple of weeks, tornado went through Mina. (laughs) 
and in seconds, all that my wife and I had spent 22 years building and collecting was gone. Everything gone. Cars, house, clothes. Thank you, Jesus. It was a miraculous situation. But it had, had it not been for Emmy babysitting Silas, my family would have died. <laughs> Everything gone in a matter of seconds. And it was Thursday before Easter. And I had no clothes. We literally went to Walmart that night and bought some underwear and socks. I didn't, I mean, because we didn't even have that. Worship team, you guys, come on. And I remember walking around in the devastation. And I had lots of questions. Like, okay, Lord, what are you doing? And there was some pretty difficult moments. But on Saturday, a lady came to us. We were working out of the old building over on Maple Street and said, you know, I found this shirt of yours out in the street and I washed it so you'd have a shirt for Easter. The only piece of clothing of mine that survived. And I'll never forget, I put on the shirt. I didn't pay any attention to it. I just put it on Easter Sunday. I was getting ready to go to church. We were going to have a quick Devo and then go put tarps. Some of you are there. We were going to go put tarps on houses around town on Easter Sunday. And I remember putting the shirt on and looking in the mirror going, Lord, what am I going to say? And then I saw the shirt. And it was this shirt. The only shirt that survived. And on the shirt, I looked at it and it says, in this world, you will have trouble. See, I have told you these things. So that in me you can have what? Peace. Because in this world, there's going to be trouble. 
But put a big smile on. Because I've overcome the world. Can I just tell you, looking back, I thank God. I know God didn't make it happen. He didn't put that on people. But I personally thank God for the tornado. I thank Him for it. Because I've never in my life experienced that kind of peace. I've never experienced that kind of goodness of God. That kind of joy in the middle of the piles of rubble. (laughs) I'm going to tell you I've never had anything in my life grow my faith like that. That I can literally go, I don't understand, Lord, but I trust you. I trust you because I'm going to lean in to you. And when I lean into you, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I can have peace. I can have peace in the middle of a broken world. I can experience love, grace. Our only choice, y'all know these defining moments, we don't get to pick them. They just happen. But our choice is what do we do when they happen? Do we lean in to him? Or do we turn from him? So Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you desire to build in us faith (laughs) that leans into you in the trouble. Because you're the only one that's overcome all of our greatest fears. You overcame all of them. You lived them out and came victorious over all of those things that we dread the most. You experienced them. And so it only makes sense that it's in you that we can find peace in the middle of the storm. (laughs) That when we've lost everything that we thought was valuable, we discover you and your grace, your peace is the most valuable. It's the biggest thing. Father, I just pray that we would be a people that even in the trouble, (laughs) that we lean on you, that we find our strength in you when testing comes. That we go, you know what, I know I can't handle it, but my Jesus can. He already did. He was victorious over all of it when he came out of that grave. And I thank you, Jesus, that you can be trusted in the trouble.